Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversation. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back. We have another episode in our novella and short story series. Today we are traveling to Scadriel, where we have the 11th Metal and Allomancer Jack and the Pits of Elantia. Both of these are really, really short and available in kind of different forms than we've necessarily seen before. Uh, we're going to start with the 11th medal, and that was actually originally part of the Mistborn adventure game, which I have not played, but is just one of those many things out there that exist uh, kind of connected to the Cosmere universe that you may have seen. And then Alamancer Jack, which, as we'll talk about in detail, uh, is part of the Mistborn Era 2 universe and deals with a fictional maybe not fictional character of jack and some of his adventures what i love about both of these things is that oh we should say both of these can be found in the arcanum unbounded duh and that is where we pulled them from they're both pretty short and sweet but they do have some interesting information for scadrial scattered throughout Beginning with the 11th medal, this story is a prelude to Mistborn Era 1, and it tells us a little bit more about Kelsier's backstory. What I love about this story of the 11th medal is that even though it's pretty short, and even though it's not meant to be a full introduction to the Cosmere or Scadrail or even the character of Kelsier... It packs a whole bunch of interesting little tidbits and kind of descriptions of the magic system, like what it means to be misborn. It really gets to the point, and it's a great example of what I kind of think is like Brandon Sanderson's writing exercises or the way he kind of practices and sharpens the quill, so to speak, uh, to become a better writer for the bigger stories that we're all probably a little bit more familiar with. And it has some pretty significant information for like the greater story of Mistborn in a very subtle, short, simple delivery system. So as I said, the story was originally created for Mistborn Adventure Game, which without going into the details of that game, is just a avenue that Brandon said he knew many players were going to be coming into and maybe never had heard of the Cosmere or read any of his novels before. And he wanted this to act as a standalone that was a great introduction that people who in like board game communities, it's often the case that like one or two people are really interested in trying a new game and they bring along two or three other people to play with them. Uh, And so When you keep in mind that perspective, this little bit of a story really, really does a great job, I think, of serving as an introduction to the greater Cosmere and these characters. And as Brooke said, even gets to 
sneak in some really important, you know, big Cosmere questions of what's going on with the shards of Adenalsium. The premise of this story is Kelsier having essentially just become a Mistborn. He just escaped the pits of Hathsin and gained his Mistborn powers, and he's found a mentor, Gemmel, and he's going on kind of a Mistborn training mission with his mentor. Very similar and reflective of what we see of Vin and Kelsier's relationship in many ways, and we see a lot of the tidbits or the hints and training tools that Kelsier eventually passes to Vin being demonstrated here. And we realize that, you know, Kelsier was quite a different individual and person um, before the tragedy uh, that led him to the pits in the first place, as well as even when he's this kind of early Mistborn, like he's not the character that we eventually see. I would say this is like, we're seeing him at his turning point. Yes, 100%. And by the end of 11th Metal, it's made clear that this is a hugely significant turning point. So let's kind of just go through, not necessarily plot point by plot point, but let's go through and just kind of hit some of the important bits that we see from the 11th Metal. They're sneaking into a nobleman's keep and... Kelsier is remarking at his mentor Gemmel's sort of personality and idiosyncrasies. The man talks to himself. Um, He notices that the mists swirl away from Gemmel rather than around uh, him like they do to other mistborn. Um, And then he also remarks that Gemmel is a little bit volatile and is just as likely to help Kelsier and train him as he is to attack him and like put him in some kind of incredibly dangerous situation. So Kelsier definitely doesn't feel comfortable, but when we're looking at the character of Gemmel, who was only referenced in the regular Mistborn series and referenced, you know, very... Like literally just name dropped, I think. Yeah, exactly. It was not like a a flashback or anything like that. Uh, We can feel pretty confident in saying that Gemmel is likely, if not definitely, being controlled by Ruin. Yeah, I think all of those little observations that Kelsier makes are, you know, subtle, small ways for Brandon Sanderson to pretty concretely show that Gemmel is under the influence of Ruin. He behaves very similarly to... um, Zane. Mm-hmm. When Vin meets Zane, he has, you know, this like voice in his head that he's talking to. Um, and then violent again, outbursts yeah. and kind of a bipolar or like manic. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's a very similar relationship. I think the real key that brings home this point is that quote about the miss um, instead of yeah. hugging and kind of enveloping Gemmel. It was almost like they had a they were like the opposite magnet. Yeah, the like a magnet, but the opposite force when you turn the magnets around and they like push away from each other. That is kind of how the mist react just to Gemmel himself. So we're guessing that we don't have full confirmation that Gemmel is somehow spiked 
uh, and is controlled by ruin. Which adds such an interesting element to the entire story of Kelsier, I think. If we just take the idea that Ruin was always moving Kelsier around, or at least trying As to a move, pawn. yeah, trying mm-hmm. to move him around, and he's not, you know, maybe he's a little bit better than a pawn. Maybe he's a, a bishop, or you know, a knight, some type of cool, cooler position on the chessboard. But he's definitely being played. Well, I think he's almost the ultimate pawn because Ruin like couldn't even spike him directly. It appears, and so he is second-handedly moving Kelsier by Gemmel and then by Vin, um, forcing Kelsier to, like, do his bidding second-hand, which makes him, like, even more far removed, you know? I think that one of the kind of key aspects is that Kelsier is choosing this path for himself. Like, obviously, he had some terrible things happen to him, but he does very much feel like he's in control and does not have the kind of uh, doubt that I think we eventually see from a character like Vin uh, or even Zane in many ways who are kind of subtly aware or maybe eventually very aware. The key difference and why I kind of give some credit to Kelsier or at least maybe should be given to uh, Preservation um, is that with the events of Mistborn's secret history, even though Kelsier was moved around kind of like a pawn, uh, he also was able to make up for that fact or kind of retroactively help with the demise of Ruin. But I think what we can confidently say is that Ruin wants the Lord Ruler to be killed and is doing everything that he can, both with Vin and with Kelsier in this little story, uh, to make that happen. And so Gemmel, the entire training sequence, and Kelsier's eventual discovery of purpose from this story. That's basically what the story is all about. Kelsier walks away with new purpose, new conviction. Yeah, he has a lot more clarity by the end. So Kelsier and Gemmel break into this nobleman's keep. And, you know, Gemmel hasn't given him too much information he's basically just like this is a nobleman like what else do you need to know we're gonna attack and kill him so they get into the keep they like find this nobleman's secret room where he's like doing tests and studying things well i mean not just studying things but studying people um one of the yeah eventual discoveries and there are a couple of like key things that we discover in this short story uh but one of the discoveries is that there are experiments being performed on ska uh the poor people in skadriel uh who probably have some noble blood or some type of like mixed breeds where their well, that's what the is... nobleman think yes exactly he's trying to kind of prove a theory or at least like test um kind of testing like that snapping theory that is still around when we meet vin in era two where like certain noblemen would beat their children or like put them in really bad situations to try to force them to snap and exhibit allomantic powers this nobleman is doing that with just like a bunch of random 
Ska that he has kidnapped and like trapped in his laboratory. Yeah, it definitely reminds me a little bit of the kind of World War II era testing on the imprisoned, whether they be Jewish or Polish or just the undesirables um, in that terrible situation that happened. But, but it's kind of got a that vibe to me. And to connect it to the Cosmere, we actually see this happening again in Era 2, where the set is kidnapping people and like testing on them for certain allomantic advances. Yeah, because you... Um- we have to admit, especially knowing where this goes all the way out to Era 2 and the plans for Era 3 and 4, that a scientific mind towards the mistings and misborns and fear chemical powers is going to lead to very, very powerful technologies and changes on Scadrial. So this is kind of the earliest example that we know of, of someone who's really trying to discover or unlock the full capability and the full potential, it starts small, yes, but you just have to imagine where this goes or where it could go, and I think that's exactly what you said. We just got this delayed by a couple hundred years, right? There's 300 years in between uh, the two eras, so, you know, 300 plus years of delay, but basically someone eventually picked up kind of where this guy left off Um, And trying to breed allomancers and breed powers and really understand them at a deeper level. I mean, I think that is sort of a idiosyncratic or unique um, characteristic of Scadrial and the magic that presents on this world. Because I think of the worlds that we've seen so far, it is the most scientific um, the people have like quite a bit of information about how it works. It's not overly complicated, you know, swallow this metal, burn it, you get X power. Yeah. And it's been proven to be genetic. So that's another like aspect of scientificness to this magic. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with bonding with a spren or like something that's a little bit more esoteric. So it makes sense that throughout the history of this planet, people would be taking that kind of scientific approach and experimenting with it. I definitely think that the kind of material aspect, the very like physical existence of the metals uh, that are part of the magic system is why Chris, in the introduction to the Scadrial system, mentions that Scadrial is one of the most technologically advanced planets and would probably be even more so had it not been held back by the Lord Ruler and the kind of ultimate preservation that he set up that planet for a thousand years. He reigned and basically- (laughs) basically nothing changed. Yeah, very few. But I think that, as you mentioned, because of the magic system, because of the way it's designed, and because of the questions that are almost forced upon people- by the the realization of like swallow iron have a couple of genes in the right place and all of a sudden you become a type of superhero um i think that forces upon the question rather than something like rashar where it's very based on the spren and if the spren are happy or not happy or there's a war going on or not go- <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> and here you have and to there. say certain words and yeah. like dedicate yourself to a noble purpose or at least some purpose i guess <laughs> so i believe that this is kind of a great 
as Brandon was hoping for, a great introduction to the Cosmere. You have a lot of examples of Kelsier being very new at all of this, and to see him, a person that eventually is described by Vin as savant-like at pushing and pulling at the iron and steel metals, uh, you know, in the towards the end of book one and into book two, that's what Vin has basically come to realize is she's learning all the different metals from the crew and Kelsier has been kind of like hanging back a little bit uh, until he teaches her that thing with the horseshoes. When no, she... I think she comes up with that. Okay, then it's it's just like watching him fight then. Um, but a, a certain instance where it like sparks in her mind that like Kelsier is savant-like with steel and iron and in this 11th metal story, he's incredibly clumsy to the point where he's still wearing metal bits on his own clothing that when he runs into what's his name Shesler uh, yeah he is is almost incapacitated by the metal that he brought on his little buttons you know just a very basic thing that he taught Vin like day one uh he's going into battle and is just completely unprepared he he barely understands his powers he's still like using his hands and like pointing to where he's gonna push and pull it's very kind of cute to see um him start so low when by the time we see him he's basically godlike and and we'll get to that in a second so they discover this secret lair they discover the ska that are imprisoned kelsier of course is like oh my god we need to save all these people like starts unlocking them Gemmel is not helping him. Um, and he speaks to one of the ska and she, you know, tells us about the experiments that this nobleman is performing. And she also describes this nobleman, Shesler, as being not completely sane, which could just be because he's torturing people. Like, yeah, that's fair. But I'm also wondering if that is an indication that Shesler is also being manipulated by ruin and like is just there with his notebook conveniently full of like theories about the 11th medal to plant that for Kelsier. Because you found something that came a little bit later and outside the 11th medal specifically, uh, but about harmony and kind of what harmony eventually reveals or understands about this quote, 11th medal that Shesler is working on and Kelsier eventually discovers that notebook and becomes mildly obsessed, as Kelsier is wont to do, with this idea of the 11th medal. But what does Harmony say about that? After, so after Sazed becomes Harmony, he like searches through his god knowledge for like where these legends of the 11th medal, you know, came from. And he can't find any reference to them before Kelsier, essentially. Um, so he comes, Harmony has a theory that Ruin came up with these legends, and we know that Ruin is able to influence the written word and sort of comes up with them to influence Kelsier and his crew to kill the Lord Ruler. I mean, that's a deep play that's nine-dimensional chess that uh, these shards are 
working with here and and like such a long timeline yes if you think about it like ruin put this plan in motion way before like we meet vin way before what we think of as the beginning of this story and if we do have that kind of broader perspective on these characters you definitely can say that this is the beginning of mistborn because as the events unfold. Kelsier is going to kill the his first Mistborn, uh, which Gemmel is not even pleased with. He's like, that one was too easy. It'll be harder next time. But he realizes that the Mistborn, even though incredibly powerful, can die. And it's that thought that then jumps to, well, if Mistborn can die, then maybe the Lord Ruler can die. And tying that in with his vengeance, his desire for revenge, his Inigo Montoya kind of story of taking down the Lord Ruler, that becomes his purpose. It becomes his purpose right here in the last couple of lines of the 11th medal. In fact, the quote itself is as such, quote, the numbness was gone. He'd found something to replace it. His focus had returned. The spark was back. He'd been thinking too small. A plan began to bud, a plan he barely dared consider for its audacity, vengeance, and more. End quote. Nice. There are a bunch of other things, kind of small things, that we learn about Kelsier uh, in this story. One is we see sort of the beginnings of the persona that we see him have when we meet him in era one, which is... Like, always cavalier, always, like, smiling. He always seems like he doesn't really have a care in the world. And we see the beginnings of that in this story. Yeah, he definitely is more broken and fresh. I mean, we're talking about a couple of months after escaping the pit. So he is as low as can be with just a tiny little uh, spark moving him forward. But he's pretty dark. And we know that Kelsier carries that with him, but it begins here. He's forcing himself. He starts building his mask. Yes, forcing himself to always be smiling. And even Gamble points out, he's like, you don't look good when you're smiling. Uh, (laughs) Like, that's a creepy smile. One of those smiles that, like, doesn't reach your eyes. It's just your teeth. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Just teeth smiles are real terrifying. Those are, like psycho smiles yeah exactly it's hard to pull off it's just like just don't smile man like you (laughs) don't do that thing why are you doing that and you slowly run away (laughs) but also just a bunch of different aspects kelsier doesn't have a misborn cloak at this point and i think the very last line is he needs to go find someone to make him a misborn cloak because gemmel's not going to give him one and that becomes such a symbol of kelsier a symbol of vin uh i'm certain that like every misborn cover or the adventure game itself you know has the misborn clad in the cloak even into era two you get the the duster that uh, wax mm-hmm. wears that's even cut a little bit like a misborn cloak so this is the beginning of that um we also learned a lot more about kelsier's past and like kind of why he is the way he is. He grows up essentially as a nobleman. Um, And I think it's interesting, like Gemmel 
assumes that Kelsier wants revenge on the nobles, like, because he was a ska and he was persecuted growing up when actually Kelsier was like, eh, had a pretty good life. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> compared to ska, he had a nobleman's life. Now, compared to noblemen, he was not, like, allowed to their, their cool parties right. and stuff. So he still has that, like, chip in his shoulder and... In his noble upbringing, he was taught, you know, how to be charming and charismatic and talk his way out of things. And we see in the story that that's his go-to. Yeah, his default move is to try to charm and try to disguise himself or avoid fighting by using emotional allomancy. And that is not the Kelsier that we know by era one and what we kind of realize is that this is gemmel's work this is the training that gemmel is going to begin in this story and continue to the point when kelsier doesn't have those uh tendencies anymore yeah gemmel definitely pushes him to those like violent urges and is like forcing him to be more violent gemmel says this quote when I'm done with you, you'll be able to kill a hundred men with a single coin. You'll be able to pull a man's own sword from his fingers and strike him down with it. You'll be able to crush men within their armor, and you'll be able to cut the air like the mist themselves. You will be a god. End quote. He is a god for like a brief second. A brief <laughs> tiny second, yeah, where he holds all the power. Uh, I think that not only does he become a god for a second, he also does each of those things. He does kill a hundred or more men with a single coin or very few coins. He does like in the story, rip swords out of people's hands and then strike them through kind of a, a la night blood, like no hands needed. <laughs> um, it's very predictive from Gemmel, but obviously well, we yeah, are, since the story was ruined. already written. <laughs> I think that it's kind of a, a great reminder of the, power of the Mistborn. I mean, certainly one of the most powerful uh, characters in the Cosmere is a fully powered Mistborn with all their medals in place. I think that Brandon himself has even said like in a all out Cosmere war, Kelsier might come out on top, uh, but the Risharians and some of the Knights Radiant are probably better equipped because their Stormlight is um, more readily apparent and you can like run out of ATM quickly. But I, I don't know if a fully powered Mistborn with ATM can be beaten by anyone in the Cosmere. Well, yeah, because we also haven't seen an actual full Mistborn because they didn't know about all the medals when there were Mistborn. That's doubly true. I mean, so, Mistborn as we knew them in Era 1 is yeah, not the like full component. Yeah, exactly. A full, full Mistborn is even more powerful. I would say that would be like unbeatable, except by maybe the God King. If you imagine. Because the God King's power is just question mark, question mark, question mark. He's got a lot of breath. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I, other than like a shard, which has always shown as like being beyond any of the mortal abilities. But like, I definitely think that it's so interesting to watch the beginnings of someone who is barely capable of these powers, who is going to eventually become one of the most powerful characters in the entire Cosmere. So the 11th medal gives us a little bit of a window into Mistborn Era 1 and the goings-on behind it. 
Alomancer Jack, I think, gives us a little window into the world of Mistborn Era 2 and tells us a little bit more about this world that we're living in for this series. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing because we did see a little bit of Sanderson playing with the style of writing when we had those uh, kind of newspaper intros to many of the chapters. Which I think we get in Era 2 anyway. Like, there's a subtle shift in writing style in those books, really, like, embracing that kind of frontier um, atmosphere, even with the naming of, like, Wax and Wayne. Like, that's mm-hmm. a very, you know, kind frontiersy of yeah. <laughs> kind of um, thing that you would have seen in broadsheet. So it is the kind of this, like, meta, it's like broadsheet within a broadsheet kind of. And Alamancer Jack plays right on that idea. It's kind of a, a way for Sanderson to again, sharpen the quill with a different writing style. It's a little bit um, kind of esoteric or just a little bit different from what we are used to. It's like a backdrop, essentially. So if you've read Mistborn Ear 2, but you skipped over those pages that have the like newspaper broadsheets on them, Go back, read all of them. It's actually easier to read them online. I think most of them are on the wiki. You can like zoom in and actually read each of the articles. They are real articles. Yeah. They are actually applicable to the story. Definitely Definitely don't skip over them. We should probably do like an episode just on the broadsheets. Just on the (laughs) broadsheets. But this is kind of another example. And it's an interesting example because I feel often in fantasy stories... In general, there is a lack of how does the world react to the events that are going on? Like we think yeah. there's so much, you know, cool things going on with Wax and Wayne or on Rashar XYZ. But then it's like if you zoom out outside of that story, it's like sometimes you have no idea what the rest of the world is like. Yeah, it's very hyper focused mm-hmm. or, or just like, you know, something cool is going on. And so you just zoom in and only look at that. I think one tiny example from... Game of Thrones, because obviously, (laughs) only talking about Game of Thrones, just kidding, this is a Cosmere podcast, but Arya is able to like watch a play, I think it's in Bravos, but she's she's able to watch a play of the events of her life, basically. Yeah, that she had witnessed from assassinations, beheadings, XYZs, people dying. Uh, She's able to see this all play out as normal people not the main characters of the show, are living their lives. Like people are just kind of like stopping by this square where there's this actor's troupe. Um, I think the famous one or the like good actor is Cersei. That is kind of what we see in Alamancer Jack is kind of this play on what's going on on the world. It's a little bit like satire uh, and it's very interesting. I think especially when we get this longer episode of Alamancer Jack and the pits of Eltania in the Arcanum Unbounded, it tells us a little bit more about or like gives us perspective on the difference in people's access to information in this world being more of like a Victorian era kind of thing. Like their access to information is incredibly different from ours today. And 
essentially what they read in the newspaper is truth because they don't have any way to prove otherwise. So we have Jack, who, as you might guess, is an alamancer. He's a he's a tin burner, a tin misting. And obviously he is a sharp shooter. But in this story, he is sort of more, he's like a caricature of wax in a way. Yeah. Kind of like how the older versions of like Batman movies were much more comic booky and cartoony yeah. pow bang yeah versus the new one that's like very realistic like what if batman was a real man yeah it's adam in a real world adam west batman versus the like christian bale that style yeah i, I definitely <laughs> think wax you know is a cool christian bale like character and he's oh damn this is legit but he's very serious <laughs> you gotta occasionally make room for just some adam west in your life like that can work too and that's the role that alamancer jack fills i mean there are multiple instances he's running around like fighting coloss people uh and he is interacting with possible faceless immortals like his life does sound very similar to waxes of course it almost like it makes me wonder if elements or jack is written by like wayne <laughs> wayne is just like ghostwriting elements or jack didn't we find something that allowed us to say that we believe Jack is actually a real person that Wax himself has bumped into out in the roughs? There's not. I don't think there's hard confirmation. And I can't remember if Wax actually says he like met him or if he's just read the broadsheets and is like, well, Jack is kind of a fop. Like he's this nobleman playing at being an adventurer. But like, well, at least he's getting out and doing something unlike most noblemen. Yeah, he's like one step above most noblemen, yeah. but far but below wax. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing that really makes me think that he might actually be a real person is because in this episode, Pits of Eltania, he references getting his gun from Renette. And his shoes, he has like a little storage compartment in his shoes that like opens up at one oh, point. Yeah. And he's like, got to talk to Renette about fixing this little uh, thing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So yeah. those types <laughs> of references either confirm that he is likely a real character or doubles down on your guess that it's actually, that it's Wayne, actually Wayne. And he's just channeling <laughs> a little bit of his Renette love uh, into this character. I don't know which one I want to be more true. Is that there's this guy running around who's like a shitty version of Wax, just kind of having like subpar stories and then writing them down and like being all cool. Or if it's just Wayne in the background of everything we know, he's taking quick breaks <laughs> to just go ghostwrite some Alamance or Jack stories and like sneaking them in to the newspaper um, companies and like dropping them off and then taking something on the way out. Just be like, good trade, guys. Good trade. <laughs> and it works. The premise, at least, is that Alamancer Jack is writing, you know, these stories out as a letter to his adoring fans back at home. He sends them to the newspapers. The newspapers publish them. And then his steward a terraceman named Handerwim, um collects these stories together and will publish them you know sort of three or five at a time complete with annotations and it's the annotations that 
can get they pretty fun. are the gold. So if you are reading through the story, there's a whole bunch <laughs> of asterisks that are like part of the text uh, because those are marks that are being annotated by uh, the terrorist steward. I love all of these things and f- going back and forth and like r- realizing because I just read it through once. And then oh, you really? Get to, yeah, I, I didn't like read each of the uh, things as it was happening uh but to get it all at once and just read all of the little annotations at once is very funny it's very similar to how on rashar yes the women write everything so they'll take dictation from a man and then they will add their own notes at the bottom of the page so the man is like i killed 20 men with my bare hands and then the woman will be like asterisk he actually killed two men and he had a sword and he almost died so yes <laughs> take that with a grain of salt <laughs> i love this idea it's repeated over and over in both kind of silly satirical ways to very serious ways about how the you, bias of narrative yes how narrative itself is a biasing influence how the things or people we believe are heroes are actually villains or what we see the first time and read the first time is not actually the way that things are. Yeah, that there's like always another side of the coin and that you really can't take anything at face value. It definitely challenges the reader a little bit to pay more attention. And as we have become more Cosmere aware you definitely have to like stop and be like, okay, wait, what does this actually mean? And yeah. what could this actually be? Like how much can be? I trust this? I find myself going down deep rabbit holes of questioning literally everything. <laughs> just be like, there is nothing that is true. Everything is a lie. Uh, yeah, just, he gets some crazy theories. They're really good theories. Like they're too bad for this podcast. Yeah, oh, I have to cut out 98% <laughs> of all things uh, before it gets on the podcast, but they real crazy. <laughs> But I think it's also really interesting, like these annotations work two ways. The first way is that most of them are negations of things that Jack says. So Jack is like, I did this, I did this, I'm amazing. And the annotations are like, "Mm, it wasn't actually that great. But then those start to stack up. And every once in a while, you get an annotation that says, actually, this is kind of true. Like, I was not able to disprove this. And those, I think, are even more interesting that you're like, oh. Because it reminds you that while a lot of this is silliness and a lot of this is satire and a lot of it is over the top, there are still some things that are happening. There is still some like hero work going on by Jack here. And like, what is this pool that he dives into? Like, I'm wondering if it's a perpendicularity. Yeah. Well, he... Let's just explain that out a little bit more. He dives into a pool and... Trying to find the treasure of the survivor or something. Yeah, exactly. Guided, as always, Mm -hmm. by the survivor. Um, But he dives into a pool and he does find the thing. It's a gigantic... Well, not gigantic, but it is a chest that he discovers and he pulls that up to the surface. Um, They manage to escape and what Jack realizes is that the entire chest is made of aluminum. We know that aluminum across the Cosmere has a negating effect on magic. 
So I'm kind of question mark, question mark, a little interested in what's in that case that needs to be protected by aluminum. We find out that it's spikes and presumably they're in aluminum because they don't want anyone searching for those spikes with allomancy. Because the spikes are most likely not from the inquisitors, but the coloss. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know. I mean, that's the question is like, where did they come from? Why are they in this box? Who put them there? Why are they at the bottom of this pool? But we definitely think that they're hemallergic spikes. And like, they're, I mean, that that's the only kind of spike. <laughs> well, it's spikes that bestow powers. Like we know that there are the different spikes that give uh, the faceless immortals abilities. We see that play out in Era 2. Maybe are these spikes picked up by Alamancer Jack? Also the spikes that are used by Lessie uh, to change her abilities and to, you know, defeat and fight Wax in the uh, the sequels in Era 2? I don't know. And those types of connections haven't been made. But a whole bunch of hemallergic spikes running around that were supposed to be protected at the bottom of this pool covered in the aluminum chest makes you kind of wonder about like do these spikes come back to play in the rest of the series well and it's called the survivor's treasure and they have all this like mythology around it and from those annotations it does seem like this pool is a real thing but we like i don't think it's actually kelsier unless it's kelsier as the lord ruler in his new form is it possible that this is something that Marsh did? Uh, I mean, we know that the brothers are often kind of confused for one another or their their dealings kind of confused for one another. But while Kelsier has his little adventures uh, in Mistborn Secret History, Marsh is around and kicking for all this time and uh, becomes synonymous with death on by like era two old iron eyes yeah exactly so like is it possible that maybe he on behalf of harmony collected some inquisitor or coloss spikes uh and then was trying to hide them and they were discovered by alamancer jack yeah it begs a lot of questions again yeah this is just speculation because it's a super short story and there's not a lot of details but we have to just kind of always be asking ourselves the question you know how does this play into the greater Cosmere? And do any of our characters, a la, you know, Hoyd everywhere, just kind of bump into uh, what's going on in this tale of Alamancer Jack? Even though this was a pretty short episode and these are pretty short stories, I do love diving into all the little extra bits of the Cosmere again. It has been great listening huh multiple times to ourselves talk <laughs> uh no it's been great to do the research and rereads on scadriel and cell and we're going to continue to kind of go down the list of all the little extra bits next Brooke, yeah. up is shadows for silence in the forests of hell super interesting world of threnody and if you have not read that you can get it individually. Yep, you can get it by itself on Kindle or in the Arcanum Unbounded. As always, everything is found in the Arcanum Unbounded. 
we find the Arcanum to be a great resource, especially because of those little intros. So if you haven't picked up the Arcanum itself and you want all of these things in one place, highly recommend that. No, we do not get paid if you buy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but we totally should. Brandon, hit us up. <laughs> we are just fans for fandom's sake. Yes. That being said... Hit us up on all of our social media, continue the conversation, tell us how you've been liking these novella episodes, and if you have any great insights about the stories we've covered so far. And until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Mm-hmm.